Pastor Cameron, I'm glad you're here. Merry Christmas! This is it. So, this is it. We made it through that Mayan thing. No problem. Come on. So, we're continuing the Christmas story. And uh, would you join with me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you that we can come into your presence with uh, singing, with songs of thankfulness and praise, that we can come into your courts and into your gates. Lord, that you have not only invited us, you made a way uh, by which we can come into your presence, uh, Lord, and, and you're here waiting for us, that you are Emmanuel, God with us. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would um, help me communicate what you put on my heart uh, in a way that makes sense for everyone here and, and help us all embrace uh, the tr true meaning, the fullness uh, of what Christmas is in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, just talking about the Christmas story, and as I shared last week, something that's so familiar can often be, uh, you know, uh, relegated or neglected and relegated to it and dismissed. I guess you could say the familiarity breeds contempt is a common saying, and and we don't want to do that with the Christmas story. Christmas is something we're all familiar with. It's really ingrained in our culture. Uh, and it's become almost secular in many ways. And I actually don't think that's a bad thing that, that uh, the whole, I think it's amazing that the biggest holiday of the year is Christmas. You know, I think it's fantastic. Even those that don't understand the, the real significance of it, it gives us all an opportunity to talk about that significance. Uh, it never uh, ceases to amaze me when we go to Japan. I've been there a couple of times during the Christmas season, and I'll be in a store in, in Japan, even though less than one-tenth of one percent are Christian. They, they all play, all the stores play uh, American music, English. The, the music's in English. And they, none of them speak English, okay? <laughs> they, they all take a couple of years in school. It's mandatory, but very few of them actually speak. I was in a, in a hundred yen store. It's a dollar store. <laughs> oh, it's great, man. It's, it's better than our dollar stores. <laughs> It's fun. And uh, there was one of the Christmas songs, I forget, Joy to the World, The Lord Has Come. It just starts blaring. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. I'm like, I'm like, wow, hey guys, it's the gospels being proclaimed in the 100 yen store. <laughs> it's great. <clears throat> so, uh, it's good that it's a good story. We want to focus in on, on some of the, on the, the real meaning and the significance. And also I want to bring it down to, well, what does it mean for you and I? We're going to read uh, Luke chapter 2, 8 through 20, one part, one segment of the Christmas story. I'm going to read it from the New King James. You can follow along. It says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in the manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. 
So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. Amen. Well, this is the scene that we're introduced to, the scene of the shepherds uh, living out in the fields, keeping watch over flock by night. They were just doing their job. They were just out working, taking care of the flock. And this is the first announcement of the birth of Christ. Now, some of you are parents. Some of you have gone through that wonderful experience called childbirth. <laughs> and usually, you know, how many of your parents have you gone through? You usually have a list of people you're going to contact. You know, who do you call first when the baby's born? We had baby Daisy. They were here at first service, uh, born just last week, and it was so, so exciting to get the news. Everybody's excited about the news. But when you have a baby, who you call first uh, is, is significant, right? It's like mom or dad or the grandparents, you know, or your, your, your best friend. Uh, there's some significance in the relationship uh, that determines who's the first one on the list that gets the news that the baby's here. Well, the first one on God's list were these shepherds <laughs> who seemingly deserved it the least. Who are these guys? You know, slow shepherds in that day were just, a, it was just like a, a lowly position. They were usually thought of as vulgar, it was a vulgar lifestyle, it was, you know, a dirty job. Uh, 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 it was the uh, un uneducated people or unprivileged people ended up just being shepherds. Uh, and these, they were just common guys, just regular Joes out in the field doing the job. Uh, you know, the, the announcement didn't go to Caesar, you know, the ruler of the, of the world then. Dun -dun! It didn't go to Herod. It didn't go to Pontius Pilate. It didn't go to the religious leaders. Bypassed all of that. And God chose, you know, these guys out in the field sitting around the campfire. Who knows what they were talking about? Wouldn't you love to know what they were talking about? <laughs> I bet it wasn't angels. <laughs> uh, and the, and so the, so the people that, that, that deserved at least, because Christ came for those kind of people. He came for the lost. He came for the meek. He came for the lowly. It's like Mary last week. We talked about the, what made her special was nothing in and of herself. It was God's favor upon her. It was something endowed upon her, given to her. Same with these shepherds. What made them special is because God chose them. He selected them. He, says, You're, he, he showed up and gave them <clears throat> and drew them in. Uh, so it wasn't anything special about them. It wasn't any special characteristic that we know of in these people other than the fact that God chose to reveal to them this great news. 
His grace, God's grace, Christ's grace, the message of, the, of Christmas draws ordinary people into His extraordinary intervention into human history. That's the point. He just takes ordinary people and He draws them into this extraordinary story. You're ordinary people. You're, you, like the shepherd, like Mary, are just ordinary people. But God wants to draw you and I into this extraordinary intervention into human history. <clears throat> and I think it also, the fact that he chose shepherds, I mean, it says something about God. It says something about Jesus. Uh, it powerfully represents Jesus as our shepherd. He's the son of David, right? And David, what was he first? A shepherd who became king. Okay? The, the king whose kingdom Christ comes to restore and fulfill. He's the son of David. Christ the shepherd. He's a servant. He comes as a lowly shepherd, just like David, to become king, but king of the world. Um, and this angelic appearance. <clears throat> Here we have again an, an angel. It's first singular. An angel stood before them, and then it says, the glory of the Lord shone around them. And as I, I brought out last week, is that um, the, the Christmas story and really Christianity uh, comes with it. The gospel is supernatural by its very nature. All right? It's supernatural. An angel shows up out of nowhere to these shepherds. Boom! And has this powerful declaration. He says these words, and then a whole host. How many are in a host? A whole bunch. Like, wow! You know? <clears throat> this is miraculous, right? Don't try to take the super out of supernatural. Amen. The gospel is supernatural. When you're sharing the gospel, don't be intimidated by the fact that the only way to explain Christianity is supernaturally. This doesn't make sense in a natural way. And people have tried to make it make sense, like a good, nice, uh, you know, nice humanistic approach to solve problems, or it's a nice little religion. But ultimately, everything about the message of Christmas, everything about God's intervention is supernatural. And we need to embrace it and rejoice it and celebrate it. And even more than that, we need to expect it. Oh, yeah. All right? Because <clears throat> this, this, this is how God does things. <laughs> it's just the way he works. Uh, the angel stood before him, the glory of the Lord. You know, angels are not myths. They're not embellishments. All right? It's not like we need to make this story a little, little, little more catchy. You know? So we better add some, uh, some uh, bling. Yeah. We need some special effects to sell tickets. No, that's not what it was about. It was just recording what happened. Uh-huh. They weren't, it's not embellishments for the story. It's key to the story. Later in the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews tells us a little bit about angels. It says, they are, all, it says, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? And so angels, the purpose of angels, angels do something with God, and we don't really know. They're up in heaven. Uh, but when they show up on earth, they're here as ministering spirits to minister to us. Ministering means serve, to serve us, all right? 
And so they come down and interact on our behalf as, as instruments sent by the Lord to, to uh, help us in some way. They're real beings fulfilling a purpose. Um, and it's, the, the thing is, there's a balance here. We need to acknowledge and understand that angels are real, that they're part of the story. Don't try to take them out of the story. Uh, they're, not, they're not myths. Uh, but we don't focus on the angels. The story isn't about angels. The angels didn't show up to say, hey, look at us. You know, did they? They were, hey, look at him. All right. And even the glory, says the angel appeared, but the glory of the Lord shone about them. And so it wasn't their own glory. It was God's glory. And so we don't get caught up in angel gawking. <laughs> right, but we acknowledge their, them, and we and we and being just we need to embrace the supernatural aspect of the gospels. The main point, uh, and just like the shepherds, you're you may be lowly, you may be undeserving, right? But be pr- precisely because of that, you qualify to experience that invitation into the supernatural. You, you qualify. God can show up in your life. Maybe while you're at work, like these shepherds were. So often in the Bible, you read when, when God shows up in supernatural ways, people were just going about their day-to-day routine. You know, they hadn't fasted for 40 days. All right? Now, it's good to do those kind of things to prepare yourself. But usually when God shows up, it's at His timing. You know? And so are you ready to encounter God in whatever way He chooses? Well, now we get to the message, <clears throat> the angelic message, Luke 2.19. The first thing, like the angel that spoke to Mary, like the words that came out of Jesus' mouth, the first words out of his mouth, uh, well, the second words out of Jesus' mouth um, after the resurrection was, fear not. You know, don't be afraid. Every time an angel shows up, he's got to calm down the people he shows up to. You know, it's okay, take a deep breath. It's all right, all right, it's all right, don't be afraid. I'm here for your good, you know, because they freak out. <clears throat> and the very reason that they, uh, it's necessary for them to, to say that is because, you know, this is something extraordinary. It's something that causes fear. Um, fear is the natural response to encountering something supernatural. And I, and I challenge you, you know, if you, uh, some people try and, <clears throat> some of my friends actually try to take all of the fear out of the gospel. And I don't think you can hear the full gospel if you don't experience some fear. Amen. And it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God is a New Testament verse. <laughs> okay. That's not part of the old covenant. Why? Because it's it's like it's you know, if you walked if you got if you were taking the trash out to the curb and because you forgot now it's it's midnight or your kid forgot. <laughs> and you're just and all of a sudden an angel boom, declares them and the whole heavens go boom, you know, ah! and it's a ufo you know <laughs> what's what's going on here so that reaction of fear isn't in and of itself wrong it's natural it's rational but come, come what comes with it is the message of joy don't be afraid but instead rejoice because they've been chosen. There's favor. God's grace enables them to overcome 
fear. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news, good tidings of great joy. And I love the word great joy uh, that's used. It's, it's actually the same form of the word rejoice that the angel said to Mary, but it's an, an, it's an exaggerated form. It's not just rejoice, but mega rejoice. Okay? This is actually a Greek word, megas. Mega rejoice. Man, you need to really be cheerful. So he's telling these shepherds, man, rejoice exceedingly glad. Get really into this. This is amazingly good news. Mega cheerfulness. All right? Say it out loud. Mega cheerfulness. All right, that's the message the angels brought to these shepherds. Guys, you need to be incredibly happy. I've got great news for you. And to all people, I like how the message puts it. It says, do not be afraid. I am here to announce a great and joyful event that is meant for everybody worldwide. That's what, Chris, that's what the Christmas story is. It's a great and joyful event uh, for everyone worldwide. Next verse, uh, in verse 11, it says, For there, this is the message, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And that one verse encapsulates really not only the whole story of Christmas, but the gospel. I love it. I love it when I find a verse that kind of takes everything and puts it into this this bite-sized nugget. All right? Because this is the whole message. This is it. The whole Bible summed up in one verse. All right. We're going to unpack it a little bit and look at the different parts of it. But for this, for there is born to you this day in the city of David. And of course, that draws in. You could talk about the history and, and all that. <clears throat> a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And it talks about the person and the three titles of Jesus Christ. And the first one is that um, born in the city of David, a Savior. He's the deliverer. He's the preserver. The one who saves. This is, is it's a title. It's, it's also, a, you could say, a name for Jesus Christ. It's also his purpose, his function. He is the Savior. What is so joyful? The joyful, the mega cheerfulness is the response to learning the news that there's a Savior that's been born, that's come. The one we are dependent upon for deliverance, for freedom from sin. Now, it's, <clears throat> it's one thing when we're living in a comfortable life, and I believe that the enemy is really wise in the way he's set up the most prosperous nation in the history of the world uh, uh, to make life so comfortable for us that it's really easy to think that we don't need a Savior. You know? And most people, most people don't encounter the reality of their need until they're desperate, until the you know, car's off the cliff, or the doctor said cancer, you know, or there's some tragedy. But the truth is, we all desperately know if we were sitting in the middle of a, 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 a refugee camp in, in somewhere in northern Africa or in Asia, and you know, we were literally fighting for scraps of food, it would be pretty obvious we needed some help. You know, there's tens of thousands, really millions of people in that condition. But we can say, well, what do we need a Savior for? Well, we need a Savior just as much as they need a Savior. 
Okay? Every man, woman, and child on planet Earth needs a Savior equally as much. Right? And He, and He is the Savior. No human invention, no system, no solution that can be that can be created by the resources of man can solve the root problem. And I appreciate the people that try to help relieve the symptoms. There's lots of good work uh, working toward relief of symptoms. But the problem is so deep, only a Savior. We can't fix the problem because we are the problem. Right? You know? Uh, we had this tragedy just last week uh, with the children. And it's a horror. It's a horror story. There's no way around it. And you grieve for the, for the parents. You grieve for the children. You grieve for our nation. Uh, grieve for the family of that man who did that. Um, but no matter what law you pass or what actions, and there may be good things to do to help make it more difficult, the problem still exists. Listen, when there was one family on earth and they had two siblings, all right, what happened? One sibling picked up a rock and killed the other sibling. No government to solve that problem. Because the condition, the problem is a condition of the human heart. Right? And it takes a savior, someone outside, to reach into humanity. And this is it. This is what the angel came to declare. This is the one that comes with the, the real solution, the answer is the real problem. And this can be hard to accept. Okay? And why the world may reject the true meaning of they want to take Christ out of Christmas. Why? Because Christ means Savior. He's the Savior. It, 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 you have to acknowledge I can't save myself. You have, to, you have to acknowledge that in order to accept Jesus as Savior. You have to humble yourself and say, I need a Savior. All right? But we do. And then he's the Christ. That means the one anointed. Or the anointed one. But it's a singular. All right? He's selected and empowered by God. He is the long-awaited Messiah. You know, he's here. He's what the whole nation of, of Israel was was established for this purpose, to bring forth the Christ. And so all of the story that you read, we're going to do a class on the story of the Bible, the whole story of the Old Testament leads up to this, the pinnacle of, of Christ coming as the, as the descendant of Abraham, fulfilling the promise that God made to Abraham, son of David, fulfilling the promises that God made to David, fulfilling everything in the Old Testament is fulfilled in and through the one, Christ. And so uh, Jesus comes as the anointed one. Uh, and from the moment in the Garden of Eden, when, when, when God uh, gave that, that, that hope, that uh, there will be a deliverer will come uh, out of your womb that will crush the head of the serpent. There was a promise of deliverance. Right? The whole of creation was waiting for this moment. That's why the angels couldn't stay in heaven. They had to break out. <laughs> you know, they couldn't contain themselves. I wonder if they got. Maybe they. Maybe we weren't supposed to. <laughs> I was like, you were supposed to keep that quiet. <laughs> Sorry, God, we got excited. <laughs> you know, because everything had been building up to this. No, I believe it was intended, obviously. 
Uh, so, and, and this can be hard to accept. Each one of these things are hard to accept when you, when you step back and look at it realistically. And this is why a lot of people aren't Christians. We don't want to admit that someone else can solve my problem. They don't even think they have a problem. They are the problem. Yeah. You need a Savior. Christ, the one anointed, you mean there's only one way? What about all those people? I was just having a conversation with one of my kids this week about well, what about all the people that never hear the gospel? What about you know people that never understand or are culturally so far removed they have no concept? Uh -huh. We can't remove, and those are difficult. Those are difficult questions. I do not accept a pat answer to those questions. And if you have some simple, easy, rattle off your mouth answer to that question, then you haven't grappled with the reality of what you're saying. It's a question that should disturb you. It disturbs me every time I think of it. i got to gnaw through it because I don't think there's an easy answer. There shouldn't be an easy answer to it. All right? Uh, it should be something that drives us closer to God. We cannot deny the absolute uh, exclusivity of Christ being the one. All right? So it's very clear that he is exclusively the Savior. This is the one that was uh, 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 prophesied for all those years through the Old Testament. The one the angels herald his coming. This is God the Son. You know? and so there's this exclusive nature uh, in Christianity that says this is uh, the only solution. But at the same time, on the other side of that same coin, is the all-exclusive uh, message of that uh, Savior. And that he is... You know, it's a great and joyful event that is meant for everyone worldwide. So it's exclusive in the person and the nature of Jesus Christ, but it's all-inclusive concerning uh, the message that he came to save everyone. Amen. All right, do you get it? It's all-inclusive. And, and, and so there's a balance between the exclusivity of the gospel and the inclusivity of the gospel. That Yes, it's exclusive in the role and the person of Jesus Christ, but it's inclusive in that God wants everyone, regardless of your sinful past, regardless of your culture, regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of everything, He wants you to come into and be joined to Christ and to one another. All right, and so it's that balance. And some people react to the exclusive nature of it, but they don't understand the all-inclusive nature of it. And it's our job to communicate. Amen. You know, it's our job to communicate. Yeah, it's exclusive in this way, and that Christ is the only one, and there's only one way to the Father, and that's Jesus Christ. But that invitation is open to everyone. It's proclaimed to the whole world, and it's meant to it's meant to make the whole world have mega joy. All right. It really is. <clears throat> it really is. And we need to communicate and draw people into the understanding of that. The last one is actually, I think, the most, most difficult. It's, it's, it's Lord, bless you. It's uh, our Lord. It means master. He to whom a person or thing belongs. That's what the word means in the dictionary. He to whom a person or thing belongs. We belong to him. Oh, it sounds nice. It sounds like slavery. <clears throat> Isn't slavery wrong? I tricked you, didn't I? All right. The whole point of slavery is that it's not right for one person to belong to another person. Yet, that is the relationship between you and Jesus Christ. Because he's Lord. 
you belong to him. So it's, it's wrong when any other human takes on that role. But it's not wrong for the Lord and creator by whom we are completely reliant on for our very existence for us to belong to him. And we can say that, you know, if you're already a Christian, you're kind of caught up in Christian terminology, and so we belong to him, oh, that's great. But think of the implications of this. <laughs> you are not your own. That's actually a scripture. <laughs> it is scary. It better be scary, and if it doesn't terrify you, you don't understand it. You've taken it as a platitude and not really t- dug deep and, found, uh, and discovered what that really means. That's right. Would you like a mic? <laughs> she said, what you think about at 10 o'clock at night belongs to him. All right. You belong to him. I belong to you. Well, that has some implications that, off, off, that ought to ruffle your feathers and make you uncomfortable. Uh-huh. Because it affects us most personally. He's boss over every aspect of our lives. He is Lord of your physical body. Now listen, you need to accept this wholeheartedly in order to benefit from it. If you accept it half-heartedly, you will only get a half-hearted benefit. <laughs> all right, <clears throat> Or no benefit at all. He is Lord over your physical body. You know, if you start believing that and treating your body as though it's not your own, but a temple of the Holy Spirit, it will change everything about your life. And I'm not saying it's easy. I've had this, I've been meditating on this for years. I've been trying to practice it increasingly more. But it, it is a truth. I believe the core of my being, the Bible is very clear about this. He is Lord over my physical body. Anything and everything I do with my physical body, I'm answerable to the Lord Jesus. And his lordship should dictate how I treat my body in every way. What I do with it and what I do to it. How I care for it and how I use it. Not not just because I'm afraid he'll punish me, but because I believe there's a reward for living under his lordship. Right? That the best way for me to live is to be in tune, to be submitted to him uh, physically, emotionally, our emotional beings. Most people are governed by their emotions. Their emotions actually rule their whole life. Their emotions rule their body, their decisions. <clears throat> in reality, if Jesus is Lord, he's to be Lord over our emotions. The fact that we can have a Savior that can save us and redeem and anoint and bring our emotional lives into order should cause us to be really mega joyful. You know? Come on. There's, he is able to bring that part. And, and we also need to acknowledge my emotions need to be submitted to him. And when they are, I will be living emotion, emotionally full and free better than I ever could in any other way. Wow. Spiritually, we need to be submitted to Him. Our spirits need to be in line with His Spirit, that we're just not some spiritual lone ranger doing whatever we want, but as a spirit being, we are in line and under His Lordship. That Every aspect, what I'm trying to say is that every aspect of our lives 
Every minute, every moment, every thought, every act, every word, every deed. He's Lord. All right? He's a jealous God. But he's, he's Lord in a loving way. He doesn't want control to manipulate. Amen. He wants lordship to set you free. Amen. To be who you were created to be. And it's far beyond anything you could comprehend. So when you understand the character of the Lord, then his lordship becomes not only palatable and acceptable, but it becomes joyful. When you understand who it is that's Lord over you, <laughs> you realize, wow, you know, I'm not ruling my own life because I'm the problem. I get to be a servant of the king of the universe who's got everything together. If I have any problem, I just turn to him. He's got the solution that blows me away. That's joyfulness, right? Okay. <clears throat> So <clears throat> he's Lord. And then the last idea on this before I go on is that his lordship brings with him, when we come into relationship as, as a, in a servant relationship with him as Lord, it brings with him his anointing, all right? The, the, the Christ, he's the anointed one, that's what Christ means, and his salvation, all right? So when we align ourselves under him as Lord, we also align ourselves in his anointing and in his wholeness, his salvation, so that we get the fullness of his anointing, right? Because we're in Christ. We get the fullness of his salvation because we're in him, and we get the fullness of his authority. So we can operate in his authority. We can operate, we can live our lives in his anointing, in his power that he receives from heaven on high, in this same anointing, and we can operate in a complete wholeness, as whole that, you know, people think, oh, if I could only see Jesus. Listen, you have the right, you have the access to walk in the same anointing that Jesus Christ walked in. All right? That's what this scripture says. That's what the incarnation is about. That's what the angels were announcing. All right? This is not just a Christmas story. This is about you being brought into the story and being filled with the person of Christ and his anointing, his lordship. All right, and, and, and next verse, Luke 2.12. Uh, 2, it says, And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. It's interesting that um, the ma a manger was a feeding trough that they use, would use to feed the livestock. They put uh, hay uh, in it, uh, and, uh, and that was the thing that they laid the baby Jesus in because they didn't have like the room in the inn and all that. Uh, they didn't have one of those nice uh, bassinets that you get at Toys R Us. Uh, they just had a, a, a feeding trough. But I think it's symbolic, <clears throat> and it tells us something about Jesus. Jesus said, actually, about himself in John 6:51, said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the, of the world. And so we see, even at his birth, a foreshadowing of his purpose. That he, he, he came to be eaten. That his life would be the source of nourishment and life for everyone who comes to him. Even in his birth, his ultimate purpose is foreshadowed. Okay, the shepherds did three things. <clears throat> Um, 
I'm going to tie those in to our response. Uh, three things that the shepherds did. Um, Luke 2, 15 uh, through 17, it says, The angel choir withdrew into heaven. Don't you just want to see that? Damn, I wish I could see that. It's like... It's gone. I wonder if there was an afterglow. Oh, someday we'll see it. <coughs> and then the shepherds talked it over. You bet they did. <laughs> what in the was that? <laughs> right? I'm sure they were really excited. The shepherds talked it over, and then they decided, let's go over to Bethlehem as fast as we can and see for ourselves what God has revealed to us. It says they left running. They ran. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And this is how it's uh, written in the message. Seeing was believing. It's interesting that the angels did not command them to go. They just, they just announced it. The announcement was made. But something in them said, we got to check this out. All right? So they responded. And like the shepherds, we need to respond. Right? When we hear the announcement about Jesus as Savior, as Christ, as Lord, there needs to be a response. And the response that the shepherds had is they, they sought him out until they saw him. And when they saw him, when they beheld him, seeing is believing. It's interesting. Uh, uh, their, their actions, just like Mary's confession, uh, confession, when Mary said, let it be to me according to your word. That was a confession of faith. She responded in faith. These shepherds' actions, by seeking out, by responding to that, that was an act of faith. And there was something that happened when they beheld Jesus. Uh, that you know, beholding the Lord can do more for you than all the information about the Lord can ever do. All right? Seeing is believing. They had to see. And so I challenge you, like these shepherds, seek until you see, until you encounter something, that you experience uh, Jesus in a way that it changes you. It's not just information about a, a religion. It becomes personal because your eyes have seen it or your ears are... Your story is going to be different, but but there's going to be something there. And, and, and don't give up until you experience that, that event that changes your life, just as it changed the shepherd's life, just as it changed Mary. All right? Um, Tozer, A.W. Tozer, in The Pursuit of God, writes a whole, book, a whole chapter in his book, The Pursuit of God, on this idea, idea of seeing, and seeing in a spiritual sense, or beholding the Lord. And if you've never read that book, I encourage you to read it. If it's been a few years, read it again. It's one of those books that just is riveting. He says, the looking and the believing are the same thing. Israel, referring to the nation of Israel in the old, looked with their external eyes. Believing is done in the heart. And then he says, faith is the gaze of a soul upon a saving God. What is faith? It's the gaze of one's soul upon a saving God. Faith is looking. It's looking for the Savior. It's acknowledging your need for the Savior and then looking to him as your Savior 
as the Christ, as the Lord. Amen? Okay. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I thought you had something to add. It's my wife, by the way. <laughs> um, first thing they did was they responded. Second thing they did is they worshipped. Luke 2.20, in the message it says, The shepherds returned and let loose, glorifying and praising God for everything they had heard and seen. It turned out exactly the way they had been told. Worship, praise, rejoicing, mega joy. That's the proper response to the, the news of incarnation. That's a proper response to encountering Jesus Christ. It should, um, when you encounter Christ, it's almost like an automatic reaction, all right? That's the response, you know, uh, that, that comes forth from your inner being. And again, if you haven't experienced that, then you've probably only gotten information about Jesus. And information is good, but information is meant to lead you to him. Just like Jesus told the scholars in the Bible, he says, you, you seek the Bible because you think that in the Bible, in the, in the scriptures, uh, there's salvation, but they testify of me. He says, listen, the Bible is all about encountering me, and here I am, and you don't see me. Right? Well, the New Testament's the same way. It's to lead you to encounter with the personal Jesus so that your response is, wow, Jesus! Oh, it's amazing! I'm so joyful! You know, most Christians experience that for a season and they go back to regular life. And what you need to do in regular life is see Jesus again! So it, so it, so it causes that reaction response of, of mega joy and rejoicing. That's what the Christian life should be to let loose and glorify God. And not just singing a song, but your whole life to be a response, an exclamation of praise. Everything you do, all right, should in some way communicate how that, that worship, the heart of worship. And the th so the second thing they did, the first thing they did is they responded by seeking. The second thing they did is they worshiped. The third thing they did is they told the story. This is in a New Living Translation. I'm going to quote it out of there, 17 and 18. It says, Seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. Listen, if that happened to you while you were taking the Herbie Kirby to the curb, right? <laughs> wouldn't you get on the phone and say, Dude, you wouldn't believe it. The whole sky lit up and there was this being and it. it was kind of like a person, but it was glowing and floating. And I know it sounds crazy. It wasn't a UFO. No, you know, this has happened. This is what he said. You'd tell everybody, right? Yeah. Wouldn't you? Yeah. Oh, come on. Yeah. You would. Yeah. You'd be freaking out. All right. People would call you wacky. <laughs> and you wouldn't mind it because you know it was true. All right. They told everyone. <clears throat> uh, like Mary, like these shepherds, everyone touched by the story of the incarnation becomes part of the story. Everyone touched by the story of the incarnation becomes part of the story. Mary became part of the story. The shepherds became part of the story. You're now part of the story. Tag, you're it. Right? Shepherds went out and told everyone else. That's what you're supposed to do. Once you encounter the incarnation, you're part of the story of the incarnation, and you're to spread that story so that the next person can be part of the story, so that their story can be part of the story. Your story is now part of the story, 
And your story is to bring other people's stories into the story because it's all the story of Jesus. It's his story, history. Right? right. History. Boom. Oh, I love that point. <laughs> um, yeah. You may not have encountered a, a, a singing chorus of angels singing the hallelujah chorus, right? Uh, your experience, your encounter is different. Each and every one of our experiences are different. But it's just as valid. You have to believe this. It's just as valid. I was talking another conversation I had. That most, not all, but most of the really significant people in Scripture grew up in the faith. As children, think of it, David, as a child. Timothy, as a child, he knew the faith. Samuel, as a child, he knew the faith. The really key people in Scripture. They didn't have some big, giant conversion story when they are in their 20s and had ruined their life. They grew up in the faith. So maybe your story is you just always knew and then you came to a greater understanding and it's, that's your story. Tell the story. It'll change lives. Or if you're like me and you did knucklehead things until you're up 20 and God showed up literally with an angel, tell the story, all right? Make your story part of the story to bring other people into the story. Amen. And now it's my pleasure to introduce Dave Borsma from South Carolina. Yeah. He's going to sing. He's going to sing a solo of O Holy Night, and then he's going to lead us in a congregational song um, as well. And uh, everyone can stand, and the ushers will light candles. There should be candles in the seats in front of you. And um, yeah, it's going to be like Christmas time. stars are brightly shining it is the night of our dear Savior's birth long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, or hear the angel voices, O night divine, O night, when Christ was born, O night, O night. 
Christ divine. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his God.